Well, good morning once again, and glad that you're all here with us this morning, and I'm perhaps more glad that you're here this week than you were last week, uh, because if you, for those of you who might not know, I am, my name is Brian Dillon, and I'm the uh, campus minister here at Taze Valley, and uh, taking over from Steve, and uh, so if you came back this week, I'm guessing that you knew that. Uh, maybe last week was a surprise, now you know when you came back, so I'm thankful that you're here. Hey, one of the big things to know about me is that I love baseball. Any other baseball fans in the house? All right, more than last, uh, but still not a lot, and I expected that. Uh, You know, I played baseball from the time I was five or six up and through senior year of high school, and uh, I I followed baseball most of my life. I just, I love it. Most, a lot of people have moved to like football or basketball, and uh, I pray for them, but um, I, I just love baseball. I, it, like, I'm the guy that actually enjoy, enjoys watching baseball on TV. Uh, like, you know, some people, they liked playing it as a kid. Some people like going to see it live because there's entertainment to distract you from the actual game of baseball. Uh, but few people actually like watching it on TV, and I'm that guy. I, most nights there is a game on in some form or fashion on a tablet, on a TV, like in the background. I, I just like watching it, on, even on TV. You know, and one of the big questions that baseball fans have wondered for years is, will there be baseball in heaven? And a lot of times when people ask that question, they have like, they, they think of like the legendary baseball players from the 40s or 50s or 60s, and they think, man, I just, I bet they're up there right now playing just a great pickup game altogether. And what I would say to that is, well, probably not, because probably a lot of them aren't up there in heaven is the sad reality. Uh, but not that I am the judge. We're going to get to that in just a second. But, uh, I, you know, that is probably not the way we think it is. Uh, but, you know, this has been de- debated for a long time. Maybe you've heard the story. There were two old guys that, that went out fishing together, and they got to talking about the world's problems, like you do when you're out fishing and have nothing to do. Uh, and, and they got to wondering about this very thing. Will there be baseball in heaven? And they, they discussed it for a while, and they got to the end of the discussion. And when they did, they said, you know what? Here's what we'll do. We'll promise each other that the first one of us to die... We'll see if there's baseball in heaven and then report back. Uh, And and so there's a few uh, issues with that plan, but that was their plan. And and so uh, unfortunately, a week later, one of them died. It was a little bit quicker than they thought, uh, but he upheld his promise. And so a few days later, the one that was still alive was, was, was walking down the street. He hears a voice from above calling out to him, and he says, Joe, I've got great, some good news and some bad news. Now, the good news is, yes, there is baseball in heaven, and it's wonderful, it's magnificent, it's better than I thought it could be. The bad news, though, is that you're starting on Friday. Uh, so, uh, just a heads up. Now, while I can't really tell you for sure if there is baseball in heaven or not, I do know that today is the last message of our series on the different perspectives of Jesus, titled, Who is This Man? And last week, we looked at him as the coming king, coming from above, coming in power, and coming in truth. And today, we're going to wrap things up with one more perspective, and that is Jesus as the final judge. It is our belief that Jesus will not only return, but he will return to judge the world. 
And, and this belief is one that is supported several times in the New Testament. In Acts 10.42, Peter says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. In Acts 17.31, Paul's preaching on Mars Hill and he says, For God has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. So Jesus. And last week we read from Revelation 19 where John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice He judges and wages war. And last week we said that Jesus will return in power and there will be a great show of force and then there will be a day of judgment. Have you ever wondered what that'll be like? It's not really a comfortable thing to think about a lot of times because have you ever thought about what it'll be like to, to stand in front of our Almighty God and have to give an account for our life? To just stand there silently and be forced to hear your innermost thoughts and your secret acts revealed and read aloud. Questions like, will we be rewarded more in heaven based on how we live? Or A lot of people have been asking the question in the last several years of, is there really a hell? Will a loving God really punish people for eternity just for not following Jesus? Will all sins be punished equally? Will the mass murderer be punished the same as the really good person who just didn't accept Christ? And that's a lot of questions just right there, but that's just a small sample of the questions that a lot of us have about Judgment Day. And TV shows and movies have speculated about what this is going to be like and the whole judgment process. Books have been written, opinions have been shared, but the really only thing that matters, and the thing that we're going to look at today, is what the Bible has to say about it. That's the only thing that matters. And so we're going to take a look about what the Bible has to say about this whole process. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be in verse 40. Jesus is teaching his disciples a lot of the ways, a lot of times when Jesus taught his disciples, he used parables or stories in order to, to kind of relate to them, and today's passage is no different. So Jesus is there talking to his disciples, and a lot like last week, uh, we, we saw all that yeah, they're talking about the return of Christ. And so in Luke 12, 40, Jesus tells the disciples, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, we saw similar warnings from Jesus last week about being ready at all times for his return. And so in this instance, Peter speaks up in reply and, and he asks Jesus, is this warning, is it just for us as the disciples or is this for everybody? Who, who is it for, Jesus? Well, in response to that, Jesus tells them a parable and he says, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give their, them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And last week we talked about how we, always, we should always be prepared and, and waiting, just like our friend from Kentucky, Quill. And, and there's a day coming when Jesus will return, and when he does, it will be a day of judgment. And many in the world, they won't be ready for it. 
It'll be an unexpected thing. They'll be caught off guard, and they'll probably wish they had taken Jesus a little bit more seriously when they were, when, before he came. And there will be tears for those who we didn't try harder to save, or maybe we just weren't able to get to them in time. But it is coming. His return is coming one day, and you and I must be ready for it, because whether we're ready or not, it's coming. Now, in this particular parable that Jesus tells, he's not only warning them to be on watch, but he's also identifying himself as the final judge. He is the Son of Man. He is the coming King, and he will return as the final judge. And so we have to be ready. Jesus continues on in talking to the disciples, and he says, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master's, master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And so sometimes we ask questions like, what will be judged? Or who will be judged? How will we be judged? And so what will be judged? Well, unrepentant sin will be judged. Deliberate sin will be judged. Sins of ignorance, sins of commission, sins of omission. All of these will fall under the righteous judgment of God. And and talking about all the judgment of all the sin can cause some uneasiness because we're all full of sin, right? And so when we start talking about judgment, it makes us a little like squirm in our seats a little bit. But it is something that we need to face head on and be ready for because it's coming whether you like it or not. And so we want to look at this morning, when this day comes, when this judgment day comes, when Jesus returns as the final judge, what will matter and what will not matter? So the first thing we want to look at today is when we face Jesus as our final judge, what we have done will matter. Our deeds will matter. Why? Because we believe that the Bible teaches there will be degrees of reward and degrees of punishment. And there are some that might not believe that, but there is biblical backing for this viewpoint. For instance, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so why would there be any reason to be judged for the things done while in the body unless it would ultimately matter either way? And before we go much further in the message, I just want to clarify for all of us that this is not a salvation issue. We're not talking about salvation here. Because it doesn't matter how many good deeds that you do. We cannot earn our salvation with our good deeds. It's impossible. It doesn't matter how many old ladies you help across the street. Your salvation, you can't earn it. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And it doesn't matter how many good deeds you do. And so our salvation is a gift from God, unable to be earned, but it does appear that we are rewarded for our deeds or punished for your deeds if you're not saved. We also know that there isn't a deed that goes unseen by God. He sees them all, even if we think that nobody else does, and this can be good or bad. Sometimes we have thankless jobs or we work in the background and we kind of think, man, nobody ever sees all this that I'm doing. I'm really working hard and nobody seems to even notice what I'm doing. Moms, you might feel that way a lot, right? And in the same way with our bad deeds, we, think, we try to kind of trick ourselves into thinking like, well, nobody knows about it. This is a secret sin. And we, don't, we like to think that nobody even sees what we're doing. 
But in Hebrews 4.13 we read, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. But it's not just our deeds that are, are seen by, all, God, or by God. God hears all of our words too. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. And this is a bit staggering, right? I mean, all of my deeds, Jesus, really? All of them? Oh, and all my words too on top of that? I mean, that's a lot. You, you see all of them and nothing gets by? Yeah, nothing gets by him. And the English theologian John Stott once wrote, nothing will more quickly rid us of laziness and coldness, of hypocrisy, cowardice, and pride than the knowledge that God sees, hears, and takes everything into account. And I think that on a certain level, we all understand that nothing can escape the view of God. He's everywhere all the time, but there are times that I think we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that we can hide it from him. We end up like Adam and Eve in the garden, like foolishly hiding from a God that it's impossible to hide from. And knowing that God sees and knows all that we do, it should motivate us to live differently. Not to live a perfect life, because we know that's impossible. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But I do think that we should be striving to follow the commands of Jesus, because we know that everything is seen. And so back in his parable, Jesus says, it's a good thing for the servant to be doing exactly what the master left him doing when the master returns. That servant will be rewarded accordingly. But if that servant decides not to do what he should be doing, instead choosing to do his own thing during the master's absence, well, when the master returns, that servant will be severely punished because he knew what was expected of him by the master and he still didn't do it. And if there was another servant in the household who, who didn't know what was expected of him, well, he'll be punished, but, but with a lighter sentence because he didn't knowingly do wrong. And so this indicates that there are different degrees of punishment, just like there are different degrees of reward. And I think on a certain level that makes sense to us because we discipline our kids differently as they get older, as they gain more knowledge of right and wrong, we, know, we punish them differently because now you knowingly did the offense. When they're younger and they don't know better yet, right? That's what we've heard. Well, why am I getting punished more? Because you knew better, right? And so when you're younger and you do something, okay, now you know that that's wrong. But the next time that you do it, you did it and you knew it was wrong, right? And so the punishment is usually more severe. Likewise, I, th I think just like there's different degrees of punishment, I think there's different degrees of reward according to what we've done. Now, we're not talking about getting to heaven and upgrading from a shack to a mansion. We're not talking about adding crowns to our, or jewels to our crowns, but I, I do believe that your good deeds won't go unnoticed. John says in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life 
was thrown into the lake of fire. And as you read that passage, you'll notice that there are three books that John mentions. And verse 12 says that books were opened before saying that another book was then opened after that. So what are these books? Well, one of them is named for us by John as the book of life, which contains the name of every living person unless that name has been blotted out of the book. So once you are conceived, once you are alive, your name is written in the book of life. The key is keeping it there. I believe another one of the the books is the Bible, God's Word. The Bible is what we have been given by God to live our lives by. The psalmist said that God's Word is a a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path. It shows us where to go. And lastly, at least one of these books is a book of deeds. John says that the dead will be judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Everything you have ever consciously done has been written in that book. Everything. That's a lot, right? Maybe some of us more than others, and maybe a few more pages, right? But it all matters because God wouldn't be writing it down if it didn't matter. God is not in the business of wasting time or effort. So if it's written in there, then it all matters. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So on Judgment Day, what you have done, good or bad, will matter. The good deeds will matter, and the bad deeds will matter. And they will impact the degree of your reward and the degree of your punishment. And so you hear that. And usually we're pretty hard on ourselves, right? And we think of all the sin that I'm going to start receiving punishment for, and it can, yeah, you get a little uneasy. And I, don't, I don't like this view too much. But friends, there's good news. Because now I want to talk about the second thing, and it's what won't matter. Because when Jesus returns as the final judge, what's been forgiven will not matter. If you are a Christian who has repented of your sins, your bad deeds will not matter. Why? Because the book has been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. The bad deeds that were formerly written next to your name, they're gone. There aren't even any of those eraser marks. You know, when you're a kid, like you'd write with pencil and then you'd erase, and no matter how hard you tried, you could still see there was something written there. Not even that. It's just a blank, clean slate. And as the psalmist said in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So all your bad deeds, all your bad words, your posts, your tweets, boom, they're all gone. The pictures you shouldn't have sent, the videos of you making bad choices, gone. All record of your sinful behavior has been deleted permanently, never to be seen again. I mean, it's better than Snapchat. And by the amazing grace of our God, Jesus will see you as his pure bride without spot or blemish. No faults will be brought to light. And that can be tough to wrap our minds around because that's not how we operate. We like to throw around, forgive and forget. But let's be honest, we forgive, but very rarely do we forget. You ain't going to hurt me again, right? But not Jesus. That's why it's so great that he's the final judge and not any of us. Because he truly forgives and forgets forever and for real, and it's never brought up or brought to light again. You know, I once heard it explained like, kind of like a graduation day. 
Uh, some students, they graduate with high honors, and they wear special stoles and pens and are recognized for their accomplishments. And maybe some of you, that's how you were, right? You had a bunch of accomplishments next to your name. Other students got a diploma. And maybe that's some of you here today. For some, as they're announcing the names, the assistant principal reads, Sarah Smith, member of the National Honor Society, headed to the Ohio State University on a full-ride academic scholarship, graduated with a 5.6 GPA, and Sarah's family just beams with pride. Her mom screams out, we love you, Sarah! And her, her dad is just fighting back the tears because his baby girl has graduated. I mean, Sarah didn't just graduate, she excelled, Right? She graduated with high honors. And then it comes, name, time for the, it comes time for the assistant principal to read the next name. And it's just Jack Thomas. That's it, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a tough act to follow, right? Uh, there's an awkward silence. A couple of people <laughs> cough just to like ease the tension as Jack silently walks up to accept his diploma. There are no honors attached to Jack's name. I mean, he's just happy to get up there and get that little rolled up piece of paper. And later, he would tell his family, you know, my sister graduated summa cum laude, my brother graduated magna cum laude, but I am just glad I graduated, thank the laude. <laughs> Sarah graduated, and she received recognition for all of her accomplishments in front of all of her peers. And then Jack graduated too. But you know what was missing from either one of those announcements? Their failures. Like, you never hear that in a graduation. You get recognition for your accomplishments, but unless you went to a really bad place, right, they're not going to call out your failures at a graduation ceremony. I mean, the, the assistant principal probably could have said, Jack Thomas, champion hooky player, suspended three times, maintained a solid 2.1 GPA. Jack, I don't know how you did it. I'm as surprised as anybody, but here you go. Here's your diploma. But that doesn't happen, right? For either one of them, Sarah or Jack, their, their failures were not noted because they didn't matter anymore. All that mattered was that they achieved their goal of graduating, regardless of the path they took to get there. And I think that's what Judgment Day might look like for Christians. Some will be highly acclaimed, and then there might be others who barely make it, but we're all celebrating because we all graduated. We all made it. And that's all that matters. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flame. It definitely sounds like there's going to be different degrees of reward based upon Paul's words there. God will judge each person fairly, but he will not reward each person equally. And a person, they might live outside of Christ their entire life, but come to Jesus just before they die on the deathbed. We hear stories like this all the time. But while they will be saved, they may not be rewarded like someone who devoted their entire life 
to following Christ. In Matthew 5.12, Jesus told those who would be persecuted, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And Paul said, we read Ephesians 6 and 7 and 8 earlier, where Paul said, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And again, while the reward might be different in heaven, salvation is available to all, regardless of your deeds, because once we repent, they are erased and the slate is wiped clean. We like to talk about the lost son, the prodigal son. Look, there was still a party when the son came home, right? There was still a celebration, and that's true for each one of us. But the son that stayed got to enjoy a better reward because he was there the whole time. And so all of this brings us to our last point. The last thing that's going to matter when Jesus returns as the final judge, and that is who you trust for your salvation will matter. Let's be honest, there are only two ways to die. You either die in your sin or you die in Christ. And if you die in your sin, well, then you're going to spend an eternity separated from God in hell, which is, you know, not a great outcome, right? Not what you might choose. But if you die in Christ, you'll spend an eternity with him in heaven, which is the best outcome we could have. Jesus broke it down for his disciples in John 15, telling them, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Friends, that we even get a choice in this matter is a complete miracle brought on by the amazing grace of God. Because the wages of our sin, of our deeds, is eternal death. We should not be able to spend eternity with the Father. It is only by the blood of Jesus that we are made white as snow, and only through Him that we have a hope of salvation. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through Him. And so who you trust for your salvation, it matters. It matters more than anything. And so when Jesus returns, we're all going to stand before Him as our final judge. And He's going to look down to see if your name is written in the book of life. And whether your name is there or not will all depend on who you trusted for your salvation. And so if your name is there, hallelujah, you're going to walk across the stage of graduation into an eternity waiting for you. There's going to be a party, and you're going to receive a reward according to what you've done. But if he looks down and your name's not there, you'll be separated from God for eternity in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, punished according to your sinful behavior and your refusal to accept King Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So as we've been looking in the series, we've been looking at Jesus. And who is this man? Who is this man? Who is this Jesus? I want you to check this out. 
The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. You know, I saw that video, or I heard that for the first time when I was in high school, which is an increasingly long time ago. Uh, you know, over 15 years ago I heard that, and that's, I still come back to it, and it still impacts me in a big way every time. Uh, and that was the shortened version. That's about three and a half minutes long. There's another version. The full thing is about seven and a half minutes long. And the reason I love it is even at seven and a half minutes long of that, it's just barely scratching the surface of who Jesus is. And that's how, how I feel about this, this series, is that we've just barely scratched the surface, surface of who this man is. 
So who's Jesus? He's a friend of sinners. He's a compassionate healer. He's your suffering Savior. He's the risen Lord. He's the coming King. He's the final judge. And He is our only hope for rescue. And so when the time comes for each of us to be judged, you can trust yourself and you can try to trust your own ideas or you can put your faith in King Jesus and trust in Him for salvation. Each day offers a new opportunity to turn to Him, turn away from the world and turn to Him. Each day, by the grace of God, presents a new opportunity to tell others about the rescue plan that we know is the only way. Friends, Jesus loved you and I enough to provide us a way out. And now it's our turn to love others just the way that He loved us and tell them about the plan. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that you provided a way out. You provided a rescue from the flames. You provided a way for us to get out from underneath the punishment for each of our deeds. The death that our sin deserves. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned. Yet you loved all of us, the entire world, so much that you would send your son Jesus to die for each one of us so that we might not spend eternity separated from you, but we could spend eternity with you. Father, I pray that would, that would impact each of us in a way that we would change the way that we live, that we would be devoted to you daily. And that we would not be we would not be doing good deeds. We would not be following you just to get a reward, but because we have a devotion to your son, Jesus, because of the sacrifice that he paid for each one of us. Father, perhaps most of all, now that we know about him, now that we know that the only thing that matters is who we trust with our salvation, I pray that would motivate us and inspire us to tell those around us to love others in a way that's different that sticks out. And when people ask why, why do we, can we live this way? We can say, because Jesus loved me and so I love him and I have devoted my life and I would like to tell you about it. Father, I pray that we would love others the way that you have loved us and that there would be a burden on our hearts for those that don't yet know you so that each of us could have our names written in the book of life when the time comes. Father, we thank you for your love we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you've come and you have not yet trusted your life to Jesus and come to him for your salvation, I pray that you would seek him out this morning. He's all that matters. He's the only thing that matters because he is the only way to God the Father. And so this morning, I hope that you'll make a decision. If you haven't made that decision before, I hope you'll make a decision to turn your life to him and give it over to him and trust him with your life and your salvation. And if you've not done that yet, then we would love to have you come and be baptized this morning and say, my old life is gone. I am a new creation in Christ. It's the biggest and the best decision you could ever make. And there's no greater day than today. Perhaps you've been going through some things recently. Sometimes life is just dull. 
let up, unrelenting. Sometimes you're just in that valley and it feels like you're never coming out. Sometimes we sing a song around here that says that the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. So if you need prayer this morning, I would love to pray with you and just go to God on your behalf and say, what can we do? How how can we help this person? So if that's you, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. I'll be right down front here. If you have a decision to make or you just need some prayer right now, I'd love to talk with you and pray over you. I just ask that you come and, and stand and sing our final song together.